This is a Federal News Network podcast. For the military, any advantage in weapons has a lot to do with energetics, the materials that explode and power projectiles. Recently, the Navy awarded other transaction authority money to the National Armaments Consortium for the Naval Energetic Systems and Technology Program, NEST. For more, ironically, at last week's big Army symposium, I caught up with Consortium Executive Director Charlie Zazette. The consortium now is about 950 members, and as we sit here on the floor of AUSA, I can assure you that most of the members are present here as they're all doing development and prototyping for both the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force. Yeah, so armaments consortium are people that make armaments. Absolutely. And do you primarily try to organize around OTAs? Exactly. In fact, there are three enterprises, as I call them, OTA enterprises. And uh, the first one is the Department of Defense Ordnance Technology Consortium, which is really focusing on armaments across all the services. And we also have where we joined with the Vertical Lift Consortium and the National Armaments Consortium to form the Aviation and Missile Technology Consortium. And we just were awarded by the United States Navy a third OTA called the Naval Energetics and Systems Technology Consortium. Yeah, and I want to get into that. But just before we do get into the details there, when you get an award, does it go to the consortium and then then you adjudicate among members for that development, or how does that work? Almost like that, Tom. It's close. So what the military does is provide the requirements to us. We push those out to all 950 members with a distribution list of over 4,000 researchers, and then we receive their proposals. The government adjudicates those, and then we make the awards directly to those members through the consortium. In other words, the military awarding organization kind of trust you as a broker for where that money will go. Absolutely. They direct us to go to the company that they believe has the best technology. Today, we have over 500 research projects that are over $2 billion across many of our companies. All right, let's talk about the newest one, the NEST idea, Naval Energetic Systems and Technology. Well, I thought everything having to do with military systems that are aimed at something are energetic. Let's define energetic, first of all. Well, let's define that. It is very much the grassroots of all lethal weapon systems, and also non-lethal, because we use propellants, explosives, pyrotechnics, all the ingredients that you have to manufacture in order to develop these formulations, to be able to put them into the systems, whether they're projectiles, warheads, bombs, rocket motors, all of those things are based on energetic materials. And it is a critical time for us in our nation. And I think the Navy is really leading out in understanding that we need a renaissance to bring back the technology, both in manufacturing and development of new molecules and new propellants, new explosives, etc., so that we can continue to be dominant on the battlefield. I guess a lot of people don't realize, unless they're in the business, that explosives is a constantly changing field and it's nothing like you know the fireworks of the 1920s are nothing like the chemical formulations we have now you know you're absolutely right and when we want lighter systems that can go further or go faster we have to adjust the energetics how do we get more powerful propellants how do we get more lethal explosives to be able to put in smaller packages and yet continue to deliver the same lethality on target 
So the Navy is looking generally for energetics that have these qualities that are lighter, more powerful, manufacturable, and also domestically sourceable. Is that a good way to put it? You hit it right on. And that last one, which I hadn't mentioned, is very critical. We've got to make sure that we can stay within our supply chain within the United States and not beholden to other nations for our materials. And to what degree does the need for things to go hypersonically fit into this nest idea? In a couple of areas. One is you've got to get the system up and running. And so often we'll launch with rocket-assisted. We also have to do things like ramjet technologies and being able to do new types of combustion research so that we can really get those hypersonic velocities. And that is a lot of the modeling and simulation that goes on behind the scenes. It's not just a bunch of people sitting in a laboratory with beakers. There's a lot of technology that we leverage to get us to where we need to be. It sounds like some old technologies or old techniques being revitalized when you say ramjet. The first jets were ramjets in the 40s, right? You're exactly right. Maybe it's not quite at these velocities. (laughs) Right. And, you know, the Navy gave up on a railgun project that was some, I guess, electromagnetic. Is this, in some sense, they're looking for something instead of electromagnetic, which was too expensive or too unreliable or weighed too much or took too much power, whatever, they, they felt they couldn't deploy it. That's correct. And so we'll continue to look for how do we get maybe it's better sea-launched ballistic missiles or surface-launched tactical missiles. How can we do other types of energetics for defense, right, when we're maybe threatened by a swarm of UAVs? All those different both offense and defense systems, if you will, are reliant on our energetics, and we've got to adjust and modernize as we go. Now, this is the Navy looking for this particular program, Naval Energetics. Could this have applicability across the other armed services? Oh, my gosh. While all this is going on, Tom, what we are in the midst of right now is what we call the National Energetics Planning Phase. And due to Congress asking for the Department of Defense to reassess our entire industrial base for energetics across all the service. So this really is a national issue. It is not just a Navy issue. And I think that's where the National Armaments Consortium comes into play because we are an association of all the energetic materials developers and producers. And so now we can work in a cooperative way with the Department of Defense to really address this entire both public and private partnership. We're speaking with Charlie Zazette, the executive director of the National Armaments Consortium. And is there evidence that, say, the other countries that are also rivals that have engineering and scientific talent, Russia, China, for example, I guess even India, are they also chasing energetics? Do we know what's going on? We do. Suffice to say that they are chasing, and they're running pretty fast. And I'll leave it at that. All right. And so what's the timeline here? And what happens when someone has a discovery that this worked well on a range or in a lab? What happens? Well, that's right. There is a very disciplined process because we are dealing with energetic materials. And so as soon as we... Don't try this in your kitchen. You absolutely don't want to try this in your kitchen. And I have, I think, what we call an accelerated development pipeline by using these OTAs so that we can get through this development life cycle as quickly as our safety and environmental, etc. allows us. But we've got to move quick. And so I think we're demonstrating that now. And what happens in between the proof of concept, say, under the OTA, and at the point at which the military branches, in this case the Navy, 
would want to start acquiring these in quantity in production. Yeah. Well, that's one of the beautiful things of the other transaction agreement or the OTA is that it does allow us to move right from prototype straight into production. And that was defined in the statute by Congress because they saw the demand signal that we've got to be agile and we've got to be rapid. And so that's one of the beautiful things. We can actually use this contracting vehicle, if you will, with the Department of Defense to move quickly right from prototype into production. But there's also the issue of the Defense Department and the military services being pretty slow to adopt new technology in quantity. Something may work well in a test range, but till they're ready to deploy it on all the ships or on all the aircraft and so forth, I mean, it took the Army 10 years to replace a pistol. Well, you're absolutely right, Tom. And there are days that sometimes we all feel like we're pushing a 500-pound block of jello. But the truth is we're all pulling together. And that's how I kind of look at it. I kind of think of it as more of a tug of war when we're all aligned together. We pull together. We move quickly. And I think that's what we're seeing is a little bit better alignment in energetics. And we need more of that. Because the military acquiring these new energetics would have to test the energetic not just in the lab, but also in their entire logistics chain system, which is pretty complex for storage, loading, however they get it into the back end of a thing that fires, and then also safety and handling and mounting it on a wing or in a magazine or whatever the case might be. Sounds easy to say, but it's it's pretty it's, complex. It's very complex, as it needs to be, and we've got to be judicious, but we also got to be rapid, and I think that it speaks to the importance of alignment. But you're absolutely right, Tom. This is not something that you just simply can cookie-cut and roll. And have you had a chance to see anything blow up that looks promising? Well, we actually had an amazing event uh, just this last week on uh, the Army's uh, long-range precision fires program where through our OTA program, uh, one of our member companies demonstrated the ability to shoot a 155 XM-11-13 over 70 kilometers. That's a missile? It's a 155-millimeter howitzer shell. Uh, shell. Got it. Okay. Uh, which is you know, intended to be a precision-guided weapon. And we doubled the range. We've done something just now that we thought we wouldn't even be able to do until 2023. But because of this accelerated approach and prototyping, we demonstrated over 70 kilometers, uh, which is just Amazing. So and now the challenge is to make them for $25 a piece. <laughs> I'll keep you posted on that one. All right. Charlie Zissette is executive director of the National Armaments Consortium. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. 
You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual. And that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon. Um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own. But he would stop and he would focus on me. And he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and 
without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing, and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, And I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.